we're going to meet you where you are, whether you're running your workloads on premise still and you're migrating in that cloud journey. It's by default enabling your multi cloud workloads and it's building in AI and all facets of how we secure our cloud and how you can secure your cloud. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is a Chief Information Security Officer with over 20 years experience in the industry. His expertise has enabled him to work within the private sector and the US government on security matters. Well respected in the cybersecurity community, his knowledge and leadership skills have made him an invaluable asset to his current organisation and a trusted resource for his peers. We're going to talk about security considerations, especially within the cloud. So a fascinating episode on Headsplot today. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Adam Russell is the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer of Oracle Cloud Infrastructure and Industries, an accomplished cybersecurity expert with over two decades in his field. He is responsible for leading the security of next-generation solutions for Oracle Cloud, ensuring the safeguard of the company's enterprise, cloud infrastructure, and applications used by Oracle's customers. Adam's extensive background includes working as a technical intelligence officer and security researcher for the US government. A respected professor and occasional lecturer at the University of Portland, he frequently shares his knowledge and expertise with the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. Academically, Adam holds a master's degree in computer science from the Naval Postgraduate School and a bachelor's degree in computer science from the University of Portland. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Adam to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being here today. Thank you, Elaine. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, and thank you for the kind words and introduction to my background. Um, it's a pleasure to join you. No problem at all. Um, okay, your background, as you just mentioned, your background, your position and your organization is perfect for this series on Talk. So once again, delighted to have you here today. Um, let's begin in the deep end with questions on roles and an update on a, a few things. First, a summary of the, the role of a chief information security officer in today's current technological environment. Um, Adam, what's your thoughts on this? Um, so uh, you covered my my background fairly well, um, but I do want to kind of dive into my role as a CISO at, at Oracle and, and the criticality of that role. So my, in my role, I handle a diverse portfolio of items, including securing our internal 
IT resources at Oracle. Think your enterprise IT function at any Fortune 100 company. Um, I'm also accountable for board-level cyber risk mitigations and decisions, and I hold a leading role in driving our product security for Oracle Cloud, as well as a, a variety of our SaaS offerings hosted by Oracle on our cloud. Mm -hmm. um, included in that role, I'm driving the security operations of our cloud and overseeing various security certification items for our global government customers. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe you asked, you know, how is the role of the CISO in today's current environment evolving? Mm -hmm. And the role of the CISO is, is more critical than ever. And CISOs are being called upon to ensure business continuity and scalability and really pivot, pivoting more from like a blocker into more of an enabler. And CISOs have had to kind of change their tune from no, we can't to mm -hmm. yes, we can. And let's find a safe and secure way to achieve that. Um, ultimately, CISOs are being asked to drive cybersecurity across the entire co corporate culture mm -hmm. and not just working on technical problems as they have in the past and more towards broad strategic initiatives. And so one of the things we've been doing and I've seen my peers in industry performing at their companies is moving to a security first model um, where security is embedded in all of your digital functions through powered automation to uh, intelligence collection, data gathering, to build that robust and agile infrastructure, um, not just to secure, um, but also performs better, has a better performance capability and availability mm -hmm. under the hood. So. You see this with DevOps to DevSecOps practices and zero trust enablement and real-time visibility. Mm -hmm. So CISOs mm -hmm. are really expanding from just that oversight role into really driving the technical strategy for the company at the same time. Mm. I, I wanted to ask how it differs from, say, 10 to 15 years ago. You mentioned that you've sort of moved from a blocker to an enabler. I'm, I'm sure there's a hell of a lot more difference from then to now. Do you want to give us a, a couple more? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I really mean by that is, I'll give an example, um, at least in the context of Oracle. Um, Oracle has been on its cloud journey for the past 10 plus years, 15 plus years. And we developed a generation one cloud um, to support cloud infrastructure, compute workloads, but also our industry vertical applications mm -hmm. um, through the finance and utility sector as an example. What we learned about six to eight years ago was if we're going to pivot from being a blocker in kind of a procedural way to an enabler, we had mm -hmm. to go re redesign our cloud infrastructure to be security first architecture. And that applies to our instantiations of our, our cloud to how our customers build on top of our cloud. Mm -hmm. So we've built in some of those key tenant isolation principles and least privilege access pr principles from the get-go. So it would prevent um, 
you know, those traditional adversaries and hackers from getting into your cloud. Mm -hmm. And what that enabled for us in security was instead of saying no, we could say yes on a lot of key decisions because we went back to the first principles on how we built our cloud and building a security first cloud under the hood with some of our key tools. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it all kind of ties back to um, tying security into your architecture Mm -hmm. from a technical technical perspective, but redesigning your processes to uh, bringing security in earlier um, as part of those key decisions. All right. Okay. So, so you're involving. Um, I, I want to ask you about something I read briefly online, and hopefully you'll be able to put some meat on the bones of this. Um, it, it's about the data privacy regulations. Um, if you could provide my listeners with an, an update on how Oracle will address the European data privacy and sovereignty requirements. What was that all about? And, and what's what was the issue there? Yeah, I think as a whole, the industry has been getting a lot better at meeting the data privacy um, and sovereignty requirements from mm -hmm. not just the European Union, but globally. Okay. We're seeing this within global governance from India to the EU mm -hmm. to Latin America, as well as the US. Um, and Oracle's approached this in three different themes on um, really architecting for sovereignty, um, driving our own instantiation within Oracle for a European sovereignty cloud, mm -hmm. and really addressing GDPR through building in those security first architecture principles for our cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll jump into kind of our architecting for sovereign cloud. Yep. Um, so at Oracle, we just didn't build one cloud. Uh, we built an underlying technology that allows us to run many disconnected clouds and mm -hmm. isolated clouds. And we can tailor those, those workloads to the customer needs based on local regulations, such as uh, EU sovereignty requirements or GDPR. Mm -hmm. That contrasts with the strategy and approach that, approach that other CSPs have taken to build a single cloud from the start and then having to adapt the architectures to meet the global needs. Um, we took our approach because it allows us to push out our cloud services globally everywhere. We have mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. everything, uh, everything everywhere approach. So if you have an EU cloud, you get yep. the same services in our EU sovereign cloud as you would our commercial realms or how the US government operates or India operates their yeah. cloud. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a really important architecture principle we've taken from the get-go. So so why are you um, based on what you're saying, why are you what are you sort of um creating consistency? Surely there's um deviations and there's differences depending on the, the, the continent, the culture, the area. Yeah, that's that's a good call out and um one of the things we do in conjunction uh, across security and compliance is we create one engine. So we investigate all the global requirements, uh, compliance requirements, security requirements from these local and mm. global set of um, 
national standards institutions and build them into our singular security standards and patterns and compliance bar. Mm-hmm. So if we tie it back to when we first built our cloud, we really intended to be the most secure cloud regardless of where you sat. So mm-hmm. when I look at the EU sovereign requirements um, as well as GDPR, mm-hmm. we push those requirements into our commercial realm for all of our commercial customers, right. not just the large nation, yeah. national yeah. entities like mm-hmm. France or Italy. And so this allows our customer, customers following under GDPR mm-hmm. and other critical industry specific regulations to move onto the cloud instantaneously. It also enables us to deploy our um, EU sovereign cloud, which we launched in June to customers mm-hmm. globally in all 27 EU member states. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that includes the same prices, same SLA, same support, the same services as our public cloud regions. That's interesting. Thanks for that. Okay, let, let's talk about recent collaborations here. Um, so what, so what are some of, some of the, the partnerships Oracle um, have embarked on in this space, in, in particular the results of the, the Oracle Cloud World Tour? Yeah. Um, so upfront, we obviously value the confidentiality of our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're limited in what we can share, but there's been a few notable customers and partnerships that we can talk about. Uh, one of them um, is our driving collaboration partnership with Uber. Uh, they've selected both GCP and Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, OCI, to run their critical workloads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also driving key customer adoption with uh, NRI out of uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. We're also driving large-scale deployment of Vodafone's enterprise uh, on Oracle Cloud through their through our dedicated regions, so they can deploy their critical workloads on OCI. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing this time and time again, those critical security requirements that we baked mm-hmm. into our cloud from the get-go are mm-hmm. really resonating with our customers. Um, and this also ties back into our key partnerships with uh, that we've built with Alice Group that lets customers encrypt data using their encryption cre- keys created and managed by the customer outside of the control of Oracle personnel. So your keys stay in the customer's custody, mm-hmm. they're never imported, and it enables customers to move their regulated workloads to mm-hmm. OCI that require control over the physical storage of the keys outside of the cloud. And we've had more and more of those partnerships through uh, global entities like Palo Alto Networks and their next generation firewall to Stellar Cyber and their multi-cloud CSPM solution to Zimperium and Qualys and other large scale companies that are protecting not just OCI and Oracle, but our customer workloads, whether they're Mm on-premise in OCI or that multi-cloud approach. Okay, that's good. Um, still with the the Oracle Cloud World Tour, um, one of your peers talked about a sort of a fresh approach to cybersecurity. Um, when they're talking about the era of cloud computing, do you want to briefly elaborate on that for me with our listeners? We may touch upon it later in the discussion, but if you could, because it's related to the Oracle World, um, Cloud World Tour. 
Yeah, so one of the things um, that we've been hearing time and time again from customers is while there are mechanisms to protect your cloud resources, your personnel and data through your traditional security operations center, your SIM technology, to data encryption, to uh, network firewalls, and those database security features, mm -hmm. there's still some gaps on how that data transmits across the network. And one of the things we're proud about is we're building an incredible next generation cloud technology to kind of revolutionize data security on our own new zero trust packet routing platform. And the way that internet protocols were originally designed to connect people and machines, they worked really well for that communication layer. But the underlying flaw was that security was added on later at the endpoint at those network firewalls, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So they are bolted on. It wasn't integrated within the protocol spec. And so as part of this uh, next ge generation cloud security of the zero trust packet routing platform, we believe that one, humans should be able to describe the security intent. Two, security should be enforced at the network layer on your data and every packet on the network should carry some sort of identity and data attributes that allow authenticated and authorized communications. And if those policies that the way humans describe them mm -hmm. and how it's enforced at the network, if that's not uh, allowed, those network packets are dropped. They're not allowed to be exfiltrated or moved across the network. And so we're partnering uh, with a number of our customers, as well as key partnership alliances to ensure that OCI and Oracle's virtualized networks today are allowed for everyone. And this important open spec can be collaborated with our key partners like Azure, AWS, and GCP as they migrate uh, to the cloud as well to protect that data, whether it resides in Oracle or another peer's cloud. Okay, thanks for that. Um, we're going to talk some more about that later on. So, but that was um, sort of nice and succinct for for that answer. Um, uh, listeners are always sort of fascinated by case studies. I think you've dropped a couple, which is interesting, and I want you to sort of, you know use this answer to present more in a sort of greater detail if you can. Obviously, especially if it's in the public domain. Um, so it'd be great if you could provide any specific customer case studies that clearly outlines Oracle's cloud infrastructure security capabilities, the advantages, and perhaps the, the USP. Um, there's a lot of firsts going on here, and it'd be great if you could sort of give us a story behind some of them. Yeah, so um, one of the, the big um, items we've been driving for the past two to three years has been protecting national entity workloads, um, both in the cleared space as well as the commercial aspect. Um, and we developed a tight uh, partnership uh, three years ago um, with the US government to maintain their top secret and classified workloads uh, for both the US Department of Defense and the intelligence community. 
for our national security regions uh, and our isolated cloud workloads. These are um, standards that the US government has set long ago, and we've baked those, as I alluded to earlier, into our one security bar and compliance bar for all of Oracle Cloud. Mm -hmm. What this enables is us to deploy uh, our services into government workloads and domains mm -hmm. to protect their most sensitive workloads and data. And these are staffed by our government cleared US citizens and only connected to US uh, government networks. It operates very akin to what I uh, mentioned earlier on our uh, EU sovereign realm mm -hmm. and how we operate. Um, so that case study of how we maintain our US government posture is uh, a very strategic partnership that we developed with the US government akin to the EU uh, sovereignty data cloud that we developed for Europe. Um, and we're also driving a renewed uh, and announced a seven-year strategic, par strategic partnership with Uber, um, where the company is moving its most critical workloads to OCI. And they've had some really interesting data requirements for, for their workloads, where they had a requirement for a dedicated KMS, where the customer can manage their own hardware and externalizing that KMS, kind of mm -hmm. a bring your own KMS that I alluded to in the EU sovereign realm. That approach where we deploy our services, whether it's in those most sensitive workloads for the US government or data privacy regulation requirements from the EU, those can get pushed into customers like Uber for the externalized KMS functionality. So that those are really good use cases of some of the products we're building Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how they work in some of the commercial contexts as well. Also, can you can you show how, and, and this is still case study examples, how machine learning, artificial intelligence, and, and you know, generative AI, et cetera, are used effectively in your environment? I could probably wax poetic about artificial intelligence and how it applies to security. Um, but I'm quite excited about some of the partnerships that Oracle is developing with uh, industry-leading AI platforms. Yeah, um, we've we've pushed out a partnership with Cohere. Um, they're building a generative AI platform on top of OCI, taking advantage of our unique supercluster capabilities under the hood, so that they can focus on data security, privacy, governance, and that unparalleled uh, comparison to our competitors' offerings. And what we're doing is tying in those machine learning and LLM functionality into Oracle's product offering an entire suite of SaaS applications. You see this with NetSuite's offering and their support model for LLMs leveraging Cohere. Um, but you're also seeing the security integration of the Cohere LLMs into my larger organization. We're working on some very exciting offerings like Zero Trust packet routing platform for internal use, uh, but also our externalized use of that product as well in that open standard. Uh, so mm -hmm. you're going to see us roll that out over the next year with thought, large customers when, like NRI. Thanks for telling me. It's better was when, 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 because I was like, oh, yeah. you first, in, in, the, in, in the year, in the next year or so, you said? 
yeah, uh, over the next, into the spring and next summer, we're going to see the rollout of that uh, as a publicly available feature. And our customers are going to uh, work closely with us in a partnership to roll that out into their cloud infrastructure as well. Oh, so exciting times. Um, now now let's, let's shift gears. Um, let's talk about a topic where organizations sort of are queuing up to demonstrate their credentials in this area. Um, it's it's sustainability. What is your understanding of the intersection of cybersecurity and sustainability in the context of cloud computing? So we don't see a security and sustainability trade-off when it comes to those two topics. It's uh, almost one and the same. Yeah, so it's like as we drive sustainability, um, we actually see kind of a security value add and um, in this, in the essence, like what I referred to earlier, that security was uh, built into the cloud by design by default. It's not something that you, it's notably not true for the legacy on-premise IT function, mm-hmm. but you get you get kind of that sustainability by default as you migrate to the to the cloud for sustain, sustainability or security. And overall, much like so many other facets of what our cloud can offer. Um, a move to the cloud can help your organization meet those sustainability goals and security priorities. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a balance or a trade-off. Um, how does one your of the organization that, help these, um, help your clients? How, how do you help them balance this? Um, well, I can speak specifically to the sustainability aspect, and then I do want to touch on kind of our dedicated region alloy approach, but on the sustainability front, uh, I'll use our partnership with Ampere as an example. We've been one of a, one of the key clients of Ampere um, in pushing those ARM workloads into the cloud. And from a sustainability perspective, you're seeing lower per power consumption per platform, less water usage, and you're able to push more workloads into a tighter um, tighter domain mm-hmm. for your compute and networking in comparison to some of the, the large scale kind of x86 architecture specs. AMD and Intel are obviously innovating in the space, but what we're doing with the ARM workloads, Ampere specifically is uh, a key customer of ours, 8x8, was running a lot of their workload on x86 architecture and we said hey there's an opportunity for you to gain both security value propositions mm-hmm. out of migrating to arm and uh, reducing your own costs and so for our end it's not a balance of either or but a both and when eight by eight migrated to those ampere product family and oracle they saw a reduce of uh, consumption mm-hmm. of Oracle workloads, which means less power utilized and we can drive more customer adoption onto further Oracle cloud services. And so they reduced their bill, eight by eight, that's a win. Two, um, it drove about Oracle's sustainability practices and, and our goals as a st- sustainable cloud provider. Mm-hmm. And then three, um, the way we're approaching containerized workloads um, and give that container governance 
and access governance to our customers is a real value prop. It's again, not an either or, but a both for us. Mm-hmm. You say it's it's not an either or, um, said that a few times, uh, but is it is it more of a balancing act depending on the location around the globe? Um, it actually isn't. So if we return to the subject of how we built our cloud, we wanted a everything everywhere approach to our cloud services and building security from the ground up in our, our, our architecture. This includes our root of trust, the way we do off-box virtualization to wiping our workloads between customer demand. And so whether you're sitting in a data center in uh, India or Italy or the US or Latin America and Chile, we are running the same hardware, same software under the hood in a global context. And so regionally, it there's not a lot of interplay. So mm. those same ARM workloads are enabled for customers globally, which is a wonderful value proposition for our customers. Okay. No, yes, now I understand. Okay. Um, with this uh, uh, sort of final set of questions, um, I'd like to, to look to the future. You may argue this is happening now. Um, um, as I've read the, I think the, the Oracle, a new cloud design paper. I'm sure you're aware of that. So if, if I say mm-hmm. you've talked about it, you've already talked about it, but we're going to expand on this. But if I say next generation cloud, what exactly does that mean to you, Adam, and Oracle? Next generation cloud means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah. Uh, for us at Oracle and the Oracle security uh, organization, it what that means to us is we're gonna meet you where you are, whether you're running your workloads uh, on premise still and you're migrating in that cloud journey, it's by default enabling your multi-cloud workloads like in the context of Uber and it's building in AI in all facets of how we secure our cloud and how you can secure your cloud. Mm-hmm. So it, to us, it it, really focuses on those three central themes. Um, What it means for the customers is they can go meet their sovereignty, compliance, and multi-cloud needs. So from a disaster recovery perspective, as an example, in a multi-cloud journey, if they need to pivot their workloads from one cloud provider to OCI or vice versa, they can do that. Mm -hmm. Or in the context of a really important partnership that uh, Larry and Satya announced, um, we're enabling and pivoting our database services to meet the need of Azure customers in Azure data centers. So mm-hmm. when you go to an Azure console, you can pull up our Exadatas, our database services within the console and spin up your business intelligence applications directly in Azure. And that's a joint partnership with Oracle and Microsoft to enable those customer workloads for performance reasons, but you get the same security uh, requirements and bar from both organizations. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of a use case study of how we're able to meet diverse set of needs from our customers in both the sovereignty requirements, compliance and multi-cloud journey. Okay, and there's a couple of things I want you to just elaborate for me because this is based on 
reading the a new cloud design paper and uh, there's another paper um I, I want you to sort of what is the the oracle autonomous database because i saw that in a document with the heading no mm -hmm. human labor no human error no data loss and um, the actual paper i think the paper title is um enabling the autonomous enterprise that is very different from automated so can you just explain that to me what's the oracle autonomous database our database will automatically tune uh do the correct parameterization tuning of your backend and automatically patches your, your database. There's nothing that you have to do for database operations on your backend. So as you pivot your on-premise database workloads to Oracle Cloud, mm -hmm. there's less a reliance on, do you have to make that trade-off between availability, human resources, and patching? What we do on behalf of our customers is in the context of security, as an example, we'll automatically tune mm -hmm. that database and patch it for you. So you get the best of both worlds. You get both the availability of our autonomous database approach. You get the performance mm -hmm. characteristics that you love on uh, our dynamic uh, offering from a mm -hmm. database perspective, and you get the security that you don't even have to handle on our on your end. We handle it for you. Mm. So, so what is the feedback you're getting from your, your clients with this? The feedback is um, they're loving it. Uh, they they love the, um, the value proposition um, where they don't have to make a trade-off between, hey, I have to operate this database in a very regulated market mm -hmm. and also meet the demands of, as an example, in the the shopping industry, the um, the finance industry on like Black Friday mm -hmm. or Christmas shopping or the oh. holiday shopping sprees. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times those customers have to make a trade-off between we're going to have change control, change freezes on our entire ecosystem. In the context of OCI, you don't have to make that trade-off. We're going to patch that database for you. And so when customers say, I don't have to make a trade-off between availability and security. It's one and the same. Mm -hmm. They're they're ecstatic, and so I imagine. Yeah, fantastic. And also um, from the paper, uh, the reason why I'm asking you these questions is because it will nag me until I sort of work out what this means. Um, uh, this is the paper, the uh, a new cloud design with regards to the the next generation cloud, and the section about um, the what do you describe it. Uh, it's more the comprehensiveness of, of the security solution. Um, the bit of text that, that caught my eye was the, was the information about data management across diverse um, data types and the provision of rich AI-based visual data analytics. I, I want to know, can you explain this to my listeners and what does that actually look like? Uh, but when we talk about next generation cloud, uh, especially the paper you're referring to, is it's really timed back into our partnerships with Cohere, um, but it extends beyond Cohere. So that rich data analytics layer from a AI perspective and some of the ML firms globally, it all really started with our key partnership with NVIDIA in enabling OCI superclusters, which today surpasses the kind of world's largest supercomputer in size, but it's, a unique purpose-built RDMA 
networking that meets the largest needs of our GPU customers as a whole. Mm -hmm. Where that pivots though is really cleanly and, and, and concisely with uh, the way that that then feeds into a lot of different domains. Mm. So an example would be identity. Um, in the context of the cloud, identity is one of the core critical services, especially as you pivot into the concept of a zero trust framework. But a lot of cloud providers, CSP providers today, I, the identity layer is very confusing. And so we've taken some of those partnerships with NVIDIA, with Mosaic, with Cohere, and we're pushing the ability through those partnerships to write human-based intent in mm -hmm. natural language, like English or Spanish, and put that into, I want to go describe a security intent on the identity layer, not just the data layer, but the identity layer. So you can say, I want to protect all of my um, applications from this particular business unit. They can have read access, but not write access. And this underlying system in partnership with Cohere at Oracle will then go automatically write those identity policies. You can review them, and then it can automatically get pushed out and tuned across your Oracle Cloud infrastructure ecosystem. So for us, when we look at that next generation cloud proposal and what we what mean what we mean in those principles uh, and that document is we're taking those AI partnerships and pushing it into our core products with identity, compute, networking, storage, not just that zero trust packet routing platform. Excellent. Thanks for that. And, and you know, in the wake of all of these emerging technologies like um, edge computing, you, you briefly talked about that when you said you meet your customers where they're at, you know, machine learning, we touched on serverless computing, um, containers, et cetera. What are your thoughts on the future of cloud security and in particular, in particular, the skills needed um, to address new challenges? Yeah, um, my core belief is, um, for you to be a security practitioner, you have to have a strong fundamental skill set in development, engineering, networking, hardware design, some underlying fundamental background and principle. And so when we look to enabling that security of the cloud through hiring and training the next generation of security practitioners, uh, I think the university system partnerships with Google, the US government, the EU to train up the next security practitioners is critical in building that baseline knowledge on engineering, code development, hardware design, and then layering on top how you protect those, the code, the hardware, and turning those those underlying engineers into security practitioners. And so we're seeing this with joint efforts with the US government today. You're seeing this with um, the EU, and then you're seeing this coming out of the private sector as well with Oracle. We're investing very heavily into 
regions like Morocco and training up the next generation of cloud engineers. Mm -hmm. um, but that's inclusive of uh, our security practitioners at the same time. Now you turn that funnel from, I've trained my next generation of cloud engineers and security practitioners on to what are the key problems? I mentioned data security is a major problem for the cloud. We're trying to address that with zero trust routing, uh, packet routing uh, platform. The other big one that we're seeing is we're making heavy investments into a multi-cloud by default. So there's a need for CSPs to integrate with one another. We're doing this with our Azure partnerships and bringing in along our cloud engineers with the Microsoft engineers in defining that secure connectivity between the two clouds and what that looks like. So we're doing that now and we're gonna continue to double down on that investment with our, with our personnel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we're bringing about generative AI trends to the enterprise. And I don't believe um, AI is a, a panacea to necessarily be worried about, but there are some specific things that you can do with AI to protect against those threats. So we're using AI to write those automated uh, identity policies, those automated policies at the data layer with Zipper. And we're tailoring, you're seeing this across the industry, not just at Oracle, having defensive security operations tools powered by generative AI. So you can take a full-blown um, uh, look across a particular incident or an intrusion, and you can say, summarize this intrusion and how we protected our network and enterprise against this attack. Some, something like that, building that timeline out, building out the root cause, building out the set of mitigations and next steps could often take, you know, 28, 24 to 48 hours to build out the entire timeline just on a very simplistic attack. Generative AI is making the lives of our engineers and personnel easier so they can focus on the harder problems, which is great. That's good. So the generative AI is not causing de-skinning? No, I, I think it's... Uh, taking some of those traditional mundane tasks that take a lot of time and energy and allowing our engineers at Oracle, as an example, or even globally outside of Oracle, I'm seeing this with our customers, they can go apply generative AI and LLMs to solving some of the those mundane tasks as I alluded to. And then they can focus on threat hunting finding new types of bug classes or new types of vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and really also take existing cloud architectures and next generation architectures and building out and deploying those uh, deployments of those workloads from on-premise to the cloud in a secure way. So you can take uh, what we call our OCI landing zones Mm -hmm. It can pivot one architecture to another and connect the dots, which is pretty phenomenal from where we were two years ago. It required a lot of expertise and know-how mm -hmm. and the LLMs and generative AI solutions are almost automating it. And so 
one of the key questions I get a lot, Elaine, is are we going to see a reduction of personnel because of mm. AI and AI and LLMs? The answer for me is no. I think it's allowing us to pivot to the more uh, depth-based issues that we see in security instead of making that risk-based trade-off between one or the other. AI is solving for one problem and our humans are solving for another where they require their expertise. Well, I think that's a good way to to, to end this episode of Ed's talk. Adam Russell, a truly insightful conversation today. Uh, many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepinkle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.